Hello and welcome back to the To the Heights podcast. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. It is your favorite two lag gals. <laughs> Sorry, Ash and Isabel. Um, <laughs> that's an inside joke. That's not a good way to start off a podcast. Lag is a liturgy arts group. We talked to Meyer a few weeks ago, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, that, yeah. And we have friends in lag. In lag. And we are called the lag gals. <laughs> because gal is lag backwards. And one of the lovely lag gals, Faith, who was on the podcast like a month ago, month and a half ago. Yeah. Um, she is here staying with my family because we all got kicked out of college. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. So it's Easter. Yeah. Um, Christ is risen. We yeah, win. We won. Yeah. So we have a very, very cool little episode um, that we've been talking about doing for a while, but then things just kind of fell into place. Um, it's actually been nice um, to be doing Zoom interviews because we can catch people. Like, nobody's doing it's anything. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Like, what do you got today? Yeah. You're not going anywhere. Yeah. So <laughs> we can call you at any time. Um, so we have a bunch of people who called in to today's episode. Um, I'm trying to think what other... What, what, what intro things did I make, miss? I just skip the whole like this is a production of the grexley podcast network my name is olivia colombo i'm a young catholic change maker and this podcast is named after blessed pierre giorgio frasati etc um <laughs> but i hope that if you're listening to the quarantine editions of this podcast you know that you know the spiel and you know that the you audio <laughs> is definitely i don't know we record at a tv station the audio is better than me sitting in my basement um recording but there is a new podcast mic on the way from catholic tv so i won't have to do this ridiculous like microphone sitting on top of a candle thing um that if you really want to see you can go on twitter because father cassidy made fun of it on last week's podcast episode which i've gotten a bunch of compliments on last week's podcast episode and father cassidy and i had a very good time doing that <laughs> so that Oh, I just, like, almost knocked the mic over. So, <laughs> so we're very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, this one, as I mentioned last week, though, is from my, like, 13-year-old YouTube days. Wow. Yes, which I've revived my YouTube channel, and we're actually currently vlogging. Should we? I've never done this. I feel fancy. Can Love I vlog on the podcast? Wow. Okay. It's, like, meta. I'm pulling out the, the, the camera. That's the word. And I am focusing on this very small microphone. And we're Hi, in babe. our Easter dresses, and we I have are. a... Yes. We <laughs> it's ditch blanket. Blanket because you're cold. And I... Oh, here's here's real inside scoop. Um, I'm wearing a skirt that I thrifted, which I feel so, like, hipster and cool that I, like, thrifted this, like, floral it's skirt. It's very pretty. Thank you. But the waistband was ripped, so I, I felt like a true, like, quarantine housewife, like, patching it up so I could wear it this morning. But then, in the midst of me sewing it, our garbage disposal decided to explode yeah. all over the kitchen. Carrot juice everywhere. Yeah, right after mom and I have this conflict, I don't peel my carrots when I make things with carrots. She peels her carrots, which I know is the normal thing to do. Um, but the carrot peels broke the garbage disposal. Anyway. And this has nothing to do this with This has what absolutely the nothing to do with... Well, it's living life as a young Catholic change maker, okay? <laughs> that is true. Composting is good. Thrifting is good. Don't explode your garbage disposal on Easter. Um, it's not like we have a lot of guests coming over because <laughs> we're in quarantine. So I guess it's fine. Um, but anyway, today's episode is about... Um, praise and worship adoration, which Faith and I and a bunch of other awesome people who we will talk to some of them started a holy hour at Boston College, um, 
two years two no a year ago we've only been in college yeah last like fall of 2018 Mm -hmm. um and it had kind of existed once before that but not really and we kind of brought it back with the help of some very awesome other people so we are going to talk nuts and bolts of like how to set up a holy hour with praise and worship music um what how to get it started, how to bring it to your campus or your parish, what we've learned, um, because there was a lot of trial and error in, like, building an atmosphere, set lists, um, getting people to come, promotional materials, like, all sorts of, all the nuts and bolts, um, and I'll also talk liturgy stuff a little bit, because I'm a liturgy student, and I like that, too, (laughs) and fun fact, you do not need a priest. (laughs) We've learned that in multiple ways. Yes, um, yeah, so this is something, well, I mean, you do need permission, whatever, we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> priest does get, like, semi-involved, but yes. the priest does not have to be there. Yes, yes. Priest has to know you're there, but doesn't have to be there. Although it's preferred. <laughs> yes, yes. Please, please talk to your priest. Um, do not take a liturgy student's advice over your priest. Maybe sometimes, though. Um, <laughs> depending on the priest. Depending on the priest and depending on the liturgy student. So. Very true. Yes. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about why, let's just deep dive right in, why adoration is even important to us? Like, why we wanted to bring it to campus in the first place? Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I, when I was first getting involved in my faith, my, like, sophomore, junior year of high school, I remember just having really deep, um, Eucharistic adoration moments at different um, retreats with my youth group and that was really like the first couple times that I was able to feel the presence of the Lord and just growing off that from small retreats with my church to large life team like Steubenville you mm. know like 2,000 people praising the Lord it's just yeah. so beautiful um, and I was actually so excited to go to a Catholic school because mm. I thought there would be plenty of opportunities for adoration <laughs> and I specifically remember the moment when I was walking around the BC fair freshman mm. year and I found Lourdes, our friend yeah. Lourdes, and Gerard, I believe, at mm-hmm. this, like, Catholic table. And um, I think they were advertising for, like, GP and yeah. sons. And I, and I think there was a sign-up for adoration. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And I was like, so when, like, when is adoration? Um, and I only, like, learned that they had it, like, one day. Yeah. And, like, it was, I was just, I remember being super shocked. But then as the year went by, like, I learned more that they actually did have, like, praise and worship adoration. And I believe at that time it was only, like, once a month, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe only once, once a semester. Once a semester, yeah. yeah. I really did not know much about it until second semester, actually. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, for me, um, I used to also not even like <laughs> Christian <laughs> music. Like, I just thought it was, like, super cheesy when I was younger, um, like, early high school. But I, like, later, like, it's become so important to me because I found it as such an important way of prayer. Mm -hmm. I think before, like, some of the Christian pop songs, like, I feel like you're singing about God. Mm. Rather, worship songs, you're singing to God. Yeah. And I feel like, for me, that's, like, very different. And Mm -hmm. as someone that really loves to sing, like, I'm able to take this, take this beautiful song that, like, really, like, hones in on, like, the Lord's love and just, like, bring that love to him through song Mm. so that's why it's definitely important to me and just like adoration like you know jesus yeah (laughs) that's jesus i (laughs) i can't tell you anything more about that yeah like if you don't get it you don't get it i'm sorry yeah did you have adoration like when when did were you first introduced to adoration just at all silent or praise and worship 
Did you have it like growing up? No, I, I mean, we had a perpetual adoration. We have a perpetual adoration chapel at my church, but I didn't really know what adoration was until I think my confirmation retreat. Mm. And like, that's pretty much like when I first met the Lord in general anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was the first time I was really introduced and I think my youth minister like led us in guided prayer, I believe. And then of course we had like some worship music in the background and I was like, whoa, like Mm. this is nice and yeah. like I mean I have another really good friend who I mean I can name multiple people but like he like he really he met the Lord like through mm. Eucharistic adoration yeah. and praise and worship and it's just so beautiful I know it's changed so many people's lives mm-hmm. and I just know it's so powerful so like that's why it was so important to me like when I learned about it at BC I was like yes I want to get involved in this yeah. like sign me up <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think that's important that it's not just like I mean, obviously people can have like these full and beautiful conversions from silent adoration mm-hmm. because Jesus is Jesus. Um, but, oh my goodness, I wonder if they can hear that. My brother is like clomping up the stairs like an elephant. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, I miss being at Catholic TV. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, but we're going to talk later on this episode with Michaela Hagar and she's going to tell us a little bit about like how, like, there really is a lot of, like, thought and education and planning that goes into a praise and worship holy hour. Like, it's not just, it's not just, like, you expose Jesus and you play music the whole time, though it can be, but, like, the best, your job is to set up an encounter Mm. for the people there, and there's so much planning and thought and, like, levels of, like, silence and music and types of music, and, like, there, it is a well-studied and, like, well-thought-out thing that sets up an account, an encounter with the Lord and does it so effectively. Um, I think it did that for me. I never knew what adoration was until around the same time. Um, my parish growing up, just, like, we weren't, and, like, some parishes are adoration parishes, and some parishes just don't have adoration, and my parish just didn't have adoration, and it wasn't until we moved here, um, that I actually, I don't know, I don't think I've ever told my full witness on the podcast, and this is, like, a 10,000 view version, but I was supposed to go on the March for Life. I graduated high school in three years, so I went from eighth grade to tenth grade, um, so I was supposed to go on the March for Life. You could only go if you were in high school, So I was going my sophomore year as my first year because it was technically my freshman year, whatever. The first year I was able to go and it got snowed out. Like Boston didn't end up going. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a like mini March for Life at the Holy Cross Cathedral in Boston and we had adoration there for the first time. And I just like literally did not like that whole like mini March for Life was such a transformative experience for me like it was the first time that I'd been gathered with other like Boston teens my age and that's where like some of my best friends like Kathleen and I don't think Sarah was there but like everyone was in that room who I like my future spiritual director and like all of these like future friends of mine I went to confession with Father Sinesha before I even knew who Father Sinesha was like so many yeah like everyone was in this room everyone was in this room spirit like yeah knew what was going on and like that snowstorm was like perfectly allowed at the perfect time um and i went to adoration for the first time that night i did not know what was going on um and i like i don't know my confirmation sponsor who was my chemistry teacher was like a chaperone and one of my theology teachers was a chaperone i remember them explaining it to me and i remember watching my confirmation sponsor like cry as they expose jesus Mm -hmm. and being like this 
if this is enough to make a grown man cry, like, this is, this is something. Um, and it was done by, like, the Lift Band, which are all of my friends now. (laughs) Like, I know all of them so well, and, like, Colin McBride was there, who was going to be my small group leader. And anyway, like, from there, I got invited to go on the first Discipleship Week retreat, and, like, there was adoration there. And, like, mm-hmm. then from there, I got dragged into Resurrection with Father Sinisha and Michaela. And Michaela's going to tell their story a little bit later, but, like, they had, they started doing a weekly holy hour. And, but that first Discipleship Week retreat, so the March for Life got myself into Christian music. Then I started going to, like, praise and worship, like, lift nights that we have in the Archdiocese of Boston, mm-hmm. and was listening to worship music all the time, loved it, and was like, I I want to be a worship leader. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't really like singing in front of people, and I don't know how to play the guitar. So, so let's work on those. <laughs> so let's things. work on those. Um, and then, I don't know, I've had a few, like, moments of like gratitude and like a little bit of like being more elephant clomping (laughs) more like moments of like gratitude and just like moments where I can really appreciate and be proud of myself for a little bit which like those moments are sometimes few and far between and we gotta gotta cling on to those moments of like crap like two three years ago like I could not play guitar I didn't like singing in front of people and I wanted to be a worship leader and so I, when I graduated high school, um, I, I, like, started to, like, gather more information and, like, shadowing Michaela and Colin, and, um, I taught myself guitar, um, during the period of time that, like, you know how, like, seniors get out of school, like, earlier than, like, the rest of the high school? When I, that, like, month, I taught myself how to play guitar, um, and then that summer I started, like, messing around with Michaela. I, like, barely knew what I was doing. Um, I could play ukulele, so, like, my fingers were used to doing things, but, like, yeah, um, and then once I joined LAG, I started singing more, which I was always in chorus, but it was just, like, I don't know, and I was in our liturgical choir in high school, which was, like, four people, so, and I was, like, the only alto most of the time, so, like, essentially, I was singing on my own, (laughs) but, yeah, that, that's my, my story, but, like, I was at BC, and I was, like, okay, I want to do this, I want to be a worship leader here, because, Apparently, it doesn't exist. Same thing. I thought it existed, and it yeah. didn't. Um, but then I got involved, like, right away, because I went to Gabby, who ran the silent adoration. Yeah. Um, I was like, why is this not a thing? Can we make it a thing? Um, and then we worked with Billy, who's, like, our, like, liturgist. Um, and we tried, like, all that first semester to, like, get people interested and, like, I don't know, get, like, a group together to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I think Matt Davis, I think, played the first one. I don't think I was there. I really, I might have been. Yeah. But I was pretty far removed. I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was a thing, I think, until second semester. Yeah. But yeah, I think Lizzie oh. mentioned that. Yeah. Um, Which we, I think she will possibly. But. Yeah. We, like, practiced in the God Quad, and it was Matt, me, Lizzie. Oh, wait. I think I actually remember that. Was that a different one? I think that was a different one that I was there, because I don't think I was involved in the very first one. First one. But I remember definitely doing a rehearsal with Matt. Hmm. Maybe Matt did play the first few, because that was when I was, like, I had brought my guitar to school, but I wasn't, like, super confident in my ability to, like, sing and play at the same time in front of people. Um, No, I'm remembering, I'm specifically remembering a time we were at the God Quad, and Mm. it was you, me, Lizzie, and Matt. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All those days are getting... Yeah. So mixed up. I know. 
Yeah, so we, we did it once that first semester, and then you came on board, Anne-Marie and Gerard eventually came on board, so, like, we had enough people who could play. Justin started playing yeah, guitar, too. Played, too. So, like, we, one of our, I don't know, getting the music together was one of our biggest first challenges of, like, I don't know, we had too many instruments. Like, we didn't have enough instruments. We needed someone to play guitar, um or piano or something we had too many vocalists and then we needed instrumentalists so we like asked a bunch of people and then we had like six guitars at once and like that was like a mess six is an exaggeration but like three guitars every time and that was a mess just really need one or two yeah yeah and then so we went from once a semester and then we went to that was every twice a month but the first time in the month this this is one of the mistakes that we made which we did, there was no way of knowing that it was going to be a mistake, but the first time every month, we did it on a Tuesday, and the second time every month, we did it on a Wednesday. Yeah, so everyone got confused about what days. Yes, and then there were some times that you would go, like, the third week would be, like, it would be Wednesday, and then two weeks would pass, and then it would be a Tuesday, because the months had, like, different amounts of days, like, yeah, weeks. Yeah, definitely really confusing. Yeah, it was really confusing, so, like, I don't know keep it simple um yeah for sure yeah and then from there we went what what did we do first semester this year was it every other wednesday um, i think so. yes yeah, yeah it was every other wednesday. other wednesday because i remember when they advertised for Taze. yeah like every other tuesday and then every other wednesday, wednesday was or was it every other or was it every second and oh yeah it was fourth. every second and fourth another mistake um, which I think was easier to reserve the chapel for every second and fourth, which might have been why we did it, but that just confuses people. Um, yeah. But then we we bit the bullet and we went every week this past semester, um, Thursdays, which was a good choice. I wouldn't redo anything that we did because we, we could not have done that at the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, like, it drew more people in but also we had to like whittle down the musicians and like get it to a place and like whittle down like our like set list and stuff like we got to a place where we could do it with minimal rehearsing and like everyone was like on the same page so it was okay and like I don't know we had two musicians like I played guitar and then Delia played guitar piano and then we had like two or three other singers sometimes only one other singer but like either Delia or I would be there every time and it like took the pressure off of the musicians it took the pressure off the singers because you knew someone else was always going to be there yeah made it easier to set up because we knew who was coming and yeah we would rehearse right before we we messed around with having rehearsals like the Sunday before and then right before but I don't know it, the semester was also cut really short, yeah. so we didn't really get to get into a groove of it anyway. Yeah. Because there was also spring break, and we also mm-hmm. had the lag trip, so. Yeah. We didn't have that many opportunities, honestly. No. Yeah, to figure out if, like, rehearsal earlier in the week works better. Because we did that, like, at the very beginning. We would rehearse once earlier in the week, and then once right before. Um, but then, oh no, my Mac, my, my laptop fell asleep. <laughs> ah! Um... Oh, it didn't, it didn't do anything. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause if you rehearse earlier, you're going to forget what you rehearsed and then you're going to have to do it again yeah. later before, but also then you like, but then it is easier cause you already have like, yeah, you already like have something. Cause 
by the time everyone gets there and you like set up mics and whatever like i don't know it, you have like a half an hour yeah if even that yeah so i don't know rehearsals that's definitely a trial and error i feel like we learned a lot of things through trial and error all right. Do you have anything else that we should add before we cut to talking to our friends? Well, one thing I just like, I like the way that you were describing how you just really wanted, like you just knew you wanted to help lead mm. worship, but you like also <laughs> didn't really like yeah. either of the parts. But it just made me think of like how right now, like in quarantine, I've been practicing guitar mm. a lot and I'm like s- teaching myself as well. But one thing I realized is like the Lord, he helps us. Mm like, he helps us, like, worship him better. Yes. Like, he knows, like, in our hearts we want to, like, love him in a deeper and more beautiful way. So, like, mm-hmm. he helps us with that. Yeah. And I just, like, this the way you were describing, like, mm-hmm. I want to do this, but, like, I don't really like yeah. the parts of this. And yeah. And just, like, slowly, like, help make that easier and easier for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And, like, step by step, like, I don't know, looking back, like, the whole singing part, like, I don't know, I... It's weird for an introvert to be such a theater kid, and I was totally a musical theater kid, and, like, took voice lessons and was in choir, and, like, he started to, like, I don't know, what's the word, like, foster that part of me and, like, work on that before I even knew that it was going to be, I don't know, and then slowly he was like, liturgical choir, how about that? And then, like, I, I don't know, that part, like, he got the ball rolling on that before I even knew what it was for, and then once I, like, got to discipleship week and then especially when I got to Father Sneesha like very charismatic lots of praying over people and we did a lot of like learning how to pray over people and to pray in front of people um and like learned all of those like formulas and such um and I don't know so that made it easier for me to like take that part of worship leading and like the 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 leading the prayer part not just the leading the song so we got that ball rolling and then eventually got guitar going and it is beautiful to look back and like see how he like he was working through it all he wanted that yeah 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 Yeah. he's a pretty good one (laughs) um the best one (laughs) yes all right shall we talk to lizzie yes we shall yes we shall all right here goes lizzie Alright, we are here with our very good friend Lizzie, who it is so good to see her face. Um, and we're gonna chat a little bit about Holy Hour at BC in particular because Lizzie is a senior this year, graduating. I heard commencements in October. Question mark? Yes, it is. In, yeah. in October. Yeah. Um, but Lizzie has been around praise and worship at BC for a little bit longer than us. Yes. Yeah. Um, I came on board first semester of freshman year and you came on second, second semester. semester of freshman year yeah. um, last year. But would you like to tell us when you got started with praise and worship at BC? I think I got started with praise and worship my junior year, actually because my roommate, Gabby, who I was living with, was super passionate about having Eucharistic adoration. She kind of coordinated the silent, more contemplative adoration on campus and She had that desire to bring praise and worship to campus, but with her schedule, it never seemed like we could really find a date and stick to it. And so I kind of took that opportunity when I could see she had that desire on her heart and so many people at BC had really wanted it. I thought, okay, I have some of the skills, like I can coordinate that, like I'll try for it. And so I think right at the end of my 
fall semester of my junior year. We had our first adoration with praise and worship and it's really taken off from there. We went from like one a semester to, I don't know, twice a month. And now we're just doing great with like every single week. So yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. I remember that first one. I think it was like December maybe of... It was right at like finals week. So yeah. we thought it was a perfect time. Like come pray, take a little bit of break from finals, maybe pray for some great performances over the kind of the exam period. And mm -hmm. that was the way we got started. Yeah. And got some interest. And it's good that you mentioned, I would have totally forgot to mention this, but the Tuesday silent adorations, that's kind of where we like built our base of people because mm -hmm. we have adoration all day. Would you like to explain that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I know um, they used to have it in a small chapel in, oh my gosh, I remember. Cushing. In Cushing <laughs> Chapel that yeah. they have now torn down. But yeah, it's really beautiful. People can sign up and we try to have it from, I believe, 9 a.m. to yeah. around 3.30 or 4 p.m. Yeah. Um, and they, we have different people like our friend Anne-Marie and Gabby who try to get people to sign up. And yeah, it's a really beautiful time where now that they've moved it to St. Joe's, which is was I was thankful for because yeah. I was on Cairo, so I was very close to yeah. Upper Campus. Um, yeah, where we just had the exposed Eucharist and we were able to spend time with the mm -hmm. Lord. It was a really beautiful um, time, as Lizzie said, very like contemplative. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of like built the like I don't know, even just like logistical nuts and bolts. Like that's where we got the group me from. Like there's this huge BC Adoration group me that has like what like a hundred people in it, close to it. Um, and that's where like people sign up for a silent adoration slot. And that's also where we kind of advertise praise and worship. Um, all right. What are some things that you think that we have done that like worked well? Um, things that we've learned over the course, like, I don't know, what have been your kind of favorite parts of praise and worship? My favorite part, I think over the course of the three semesters that we've really done it is kind of seeing how many people have come into the fold and how many people have joined kind of the family of people who kind of make this happen because it started out I think feeling like it was like a really small operation if there weren't enough people to really have adoration on campus it felt like there wasn't this demand and mm -hmm. I think over the course of the three semesters what I've come to see is there are so many people who have a desire for adoration on campus so many people desire to meet God. And I think that's what really has touched my heart because we found more musicians, hmm. more people who are just like weekly, you know, weekly adoration goers who are just so consistent and so reliant on that experience. And that I think has been the most life-giving part hmm. over this like journey to really get it established at BC. And I feel like we've really founded a community now that I think can really take off. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Like now I don't, especially we're going to talk to Delia later, but especially now that like Delia and Sarah are on board, like I don't, I'm not afraid of like going abroad. I mean, obviously you'll still be around. Like, I don't know how you feel, but like probably feel okay graduating. Like it's, <laughs> it's not going to like disappear um, again, which is a good feeling. Yeah. I feel like that was one of my fears from high school. Like mm. I started adoration at my high school. Like it still does happen. Um, eventually, but, like, I was really afraid that it wasn't going to, um, yeah, what about music, any, any music choice inputs, in, input, inputs, <laughs> I don't know, 
Because hmm. also, like, it's a different, most of us are in lag, the Liturgy Arts group, which Meyer was on the podcast, our director, a few weeks ago. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but the music that we sing at Praise and Worship is very different than the lag music. Occasionally there's overlaps, but not much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> a very <laughs> contemplative face currently. I'm like thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, there's so much. There's so much that's been great. I think we've gotten more adventurous over mm. the three years with our music choices. I think yeah. we did some really classic jams at the beginning mm -hmm. when we really started Praise and Worship because we knew we could do them. But I liked that we brought different music kind of into our repertoire, like stuff I had never heard of this yeah. year we were doing. And I, I thought that was just so cool that, you know, I have like a 10 hour Jesus jams mm -hmm. playlist and I thought I exhausted all of the options. <laughs> wrong there are yeah. more songs that we could do and I think that's been the really fun thing is to try all the different things that we've tried you know we've done like songs with piano or just guitar or a combination of both and we've like tried harmonizing and we've just gotten adventurous yeah. over over the year mm. yeah that's a good point because we started like I don't know we, we had a pretty good formula that first semester that we were really going for it that like we did like good good father Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. <laughs> Lord, I need you always made it in there, even if it wasn't, I don't know, like, we just had, like, the very classic standard Chris Tomlin, Matt Marr, but then mm -hmm. I think that also came from adding more people, different people brought in their music tastes. Yeah. And Delia, like, brought her mm -hmm. music that she made, and I thought yeah. that was just fantastic when I got to hear her. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think we learned to, like, like delegate a little bit like this is gonna be like Delia's song and she's gonna lead it this is gonna be whoever's song and like I don't know not just have like have it like ebb and flow a little bit and not have it be like all of us singing and playing all the time at the same level yeah yeah I feel like that parts of it was sounded like a choir because mm -hmm. as we mentioned before we all yeah <laughs> I, I'm not sure has anyone done it that well, I guess um, Gerard and Gerard Justin, and there have been a few um, people that have, yeah. that have helped that weren't part of LAG, but the majority of us are LAG, and I feel like we try to maybe incorporate our chorale. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it was really great when we were able to delegate, like you said, like mm -hmm. this person, like take this song, and then it's a lot easier, I feel like, for also the congregation to like follow the one leader. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. All right. So what do you think, Lizzie, if there was someone who's listening to this podcast who was going, who, I don't know, was doing the same thing on another campus, like what would be your like logistical, practical first pieces of advice for them? First piece of advice would be to advertise more than you think you ever need to advertise yeah. because you think you're getting information out there but I think there's so many more avenues to, to think about in terms of advertising because I always hold out hope for like that one person who normally would never hear about adoration and then just by chance happens to hear it and goes and it changes their life. And, and so I always hold hope for that type of a person. And so I think if you advertise more and more, I think you're going to have more people encounter God and consider going to adoration and really consider having their heart changed. Mm, yeah. Good point. Yeah. And we, so we did posters for a while. I think we did posters every time except 
this past semester when we changed the day. Yeah, I don't think we got posters. I don't think we got posters, but it was a short semester, so didn't really matter. <laughs> but we got more of a social media presence over the course yeah. of time, which was really great in collaboration with campus ministry because they just have so much more of a reach on campus than yeah. any one of us posting independently could ever have. So I think having them send out their like in today's liturgy yeah. kind of announcements, I think that was like super big in helping us kind of conquer the media space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you could definitely tell like when it was on like their Instagram story, there was definitely more people there that night. Like, especially if it was one thing if they posted it at the beginning of the week with like a recap of like what's happening all week. But if they posted something that day, like the turnout was bigger. Um, and like if we sent out reminder messages and all of like the Catholic like group me's and group chats, like that would yeah, definitely, definitely help. Yeah. We were like, adoration now, come. No. <laughs> yes. Be there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else on the topic of praise and worship? Things, recommendations, things people should do? Song sheets, do them. <laughs> yes. That came so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Something we haven't experimented with, which I don't know, we might in the future is the whole projector situation. That works for some churches. Some people don't like the vibe of it because it gives off a weird vibe, which it does. It is helpful though, and like much more, I don't know, <laughs> more echo friendly than <laughs> printing out like 30 sheets every week. Um and then people have a hard time seeing them in the yeah, dark. Yeah, in the dark. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. I don't know. But there's no real good place for it in St. Joe's. So, yeah. yeah the walls are kind of, they kind of yeah. have a lot of like cutouts. Yeah. And it's there's a lot of windows. Kind of flat space. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you, Lizzie. It was so good to talk to you. All right, we have a very fun guest who is no stranger to the podcast. Um, we have Michaela again, um, which this is just like, this right here is a, <laughs> I got Faith, who was on like a month ago. I got Michaela, who was on a month and a week ago and a year ago. Mm. Yeah, it was last Lent that we recorded our first episode, which is Is crazy. that true? Wow, that's crazy. So we just talked to Lizzie and got kind of the scoop on like, how BC, how like praise and worship adoration and our holy hour got started at BC um, and how that was successful for like a college campus um, and a little bit of like advice there. But um, I don't know how much I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the holy hour at resurrection, which I know you've talked about, I know fathers talked about, Max and Gavin, pretty much everyone who's associated with resurrection <laughs> has been on the podcast, which is like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, we kind of or I kind of brought the knowledge of our holy hour at resurrection to BC and like it's basically based off that and structured the same and whatnot um and then we tailored it to college students but I figured we'd go back to our roots and talk to you a little bit about how it got started at resurrection and your advice for implementing this in a parish not in a college campus chapel because those are different um right so would you like to tell me the story of how and when it got started Wow. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. So it started four years ago. So it was my first year as a youth minister. Um, and it started off in a tiny chapel in what is known as the parish house. Um, and that's basically this extra house that the, the parish has that used to, I think it used to be a convent. 
um, and they turned it into like classrooms for, you know, um, sacramental prep and stuff like that. But also in that house is a um, small Eucharistic chapel. So it started off, I think it's, it had always been Thursdays, Thursday nights, um, but it was Thursday night. It would be myself, father, and then like two or three other adults that would come together and do an hour of adoration for all the kids in the program. And we would name all, like we would print off the list of kids who had registered and literally name them off um, and pray for them in, like specifically by name. Um, and then slowly we started to incorporate um, music into it. So I would bring my guitar and sing some songs and stuff. Um, so it's crazy to think it started with about five people and then it started to get so like bigger and bigger and the chapel was small. So we had to move it. So we ended up moving it to Resurrection Church um, just because the church compared to a chapel, there's a huge size difference. And now here we are four years later. And I think the most people that we've had in person um, at the Thursday night holy hour, I think we're pushing like 200. Yeah. Um, I think, I think 196 was our highest, like, tallied night of, of people that were there, which is just a really beautiful thing to see, and it's really humbling, especially being there from the beginning, and, like, for so long, it was just five of us, like, for probably a solid year, it was just five, Mm -hmm. and then, um, it gradually grew, and mostly through word of mouth, of just, like, inviting the people there to invite other people um you know what I mean and to just really make it a an invitation based um hour and then once people kind of started to come you know it just it rippled effect and now like I said we've we've got like 196 people coming um consistently every week um which is a really beautiful thing to to see and um you know as we're recording this we're in the midst of like everything going on in the world with the COVID-19 virus. Um, And even now we've moved the Holy Hour to a virtual online um, Holy Hour through like the Zoom platform. And even still we're pushing like over a hundred people and that's just a hundred users. So I don't even know how many people are behind each screen. Um, So we're probably right up where we were, which is really cool to see like the faithfulness and the consistency of the people coming. And I know that word is getting out because I, I can read the little names in the boxes and I recognize names of women that were at, um, I led worship for a women's retreat, like probably ages 35 to like 75 kind of retreat day retreat. And they invited me into, to lead worship. And I recognize some of the names of the women at that retreat that are now coming virtually to our holy hours, um, which is like insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. Would you like to ask Michaela a question? Yeah. I was just wondering um, how you've learned in the past, how to best set up the atmosphere for adoration. Like, physically as well as just like spiritually how people can feel comfortable with people that don't like to sing and maybe aren't comfortable with that or just being comfortable like being with the lord and how yeah 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 definitely um so trial and error is definitely definitely um a big part of it i think just to kind of like 
anything that you do in terms of ministry, like, especially if you are leading in any capacity, like has to obviously require prayer. So a lot of it, yes, was trial and error, but it, a lot of it was also prayer based of just like, what is the best way to lead people into worship? Because that's the goal is to lead people into contemplation. So essentially you want to lead them into silence, which kind of sounds like um, the opposite of what you're doing because you are, you're creating noise, you're creating music and, and lyrics and chords and stuff like that. Um, but the goal is actually silence. Um, so in order to do that, to foster that, I just kind of think I've, I've, you know, reached out to other parishes to see what they were doing. I would visit other adorations. Um, I think back to my college experience at Franciscan and think about what they did. Um, and just even looking back on church tradition, like our tradition is so rich and there's meaning behind everything that we do. Um, so with all of that in mind, I just kind of was like, all right, candles, like have to be a part of it. You know, it, it invites a stillness. It invites, um, a, a quiet. So if that's the, if that's the goal is to lead them into that, that encounter with the Lord into contemplation, then like we need to foster, you know, that kind of quiet and peace that they so desperately want. So candles were a definite must. Um, our parish kind of decided to go, um, with the divine mercy kind of um, approach. We, we took that a lot, especially we do it Thursday nights. And the whole reason we do Thursday nights is because that's when Jesus um, was in the garden suffering. Um, so that whole idea of like, could you not stay awake with me for one hour? So knowing what Friday brings and knowing that, um, you know, eventually his side would be pierced on the cross. And that's where the divine mercy image comes from, that blood and water that, that gushed forth. Um, we use the the white and red cloths and we basically make like a like a like an a without the middle bar like a capital a without the middle bar um and we have the the cloths overlap so it looks like it's coming from one place it looks like it's coming from the monstrance and we actually have the monstrance on a corporal but under the corporal are those cloths so if kids or um, anyone wants to come forward, they can hold on to that cloth and like be touching the Lord in, in a sense, you know, and, and kind of harkens back to that scripture verse two of um, the woman with a hemorrhage reaching out and touching the Lord, the tassel of the Lord's garment and being healed. Um, so there's a lot of like biblical imagery there. There's a lot of like church tradition imagery there. And then of course, just like dimming the lights again, just kind of like setting that mood, setting that atmosphere and when you dim the lights, um, made, making a spotlight. So we have a spotlight so people can still see the Lord because that would be a bummer if it was just dark and they came to yeah. see Jesus and they couldn't see Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so that'd be a little counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where it, it all um, came from. It was definitely trial and error. We used to use a lot of um, like electric tea lights mm-hmm. that we would put around like the, the base of the altar and stuff like that. And I, it was good, but it, it didn't, it took away from the ability for people to come and be closer and kneel because there was just stuff in the way and they just didn't feel welcome. So in that way, it wasn't like a welcoming environment. I mean, it could work with other people. I don't know. It didn't work with us. Like I said, everyone's going to be a little different. So like just, this is, I'm only speaking from my own experience yeah. here. Um, cause I I've seen it work well in other places, but it, for whatever reason, doesn't work well. Yeah. Um, where, how we're set up. Um, so that's the atmosphere. I feel like, what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry. I think, I think that you was, hit it. Yeah. yeah. Was okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Okay. I have a follow-up question though. Yeah. Songbooks. 
when did those come about and oh why? Because we just talked with Lizzie. We have had, ideally, I would love to print songbooks at BC at some point. We just change up our music so much that, like, it's not practical. And also, like, I don't know if we have the, I mean, BC has the resources for it. I'm not sure how to obtain said resources. Um, but we've been using, like, printout, like, worship aids. Um, yeah. We've talked about using a projector. Why don't you guys use a projector? Why do you use it during mass but not holy hour? Yeah. Yeah. So we used to use a projector actually, yeah. um, and that was that was kind of how I what I wasn't a huge fan of the books when we first started um, playing around with that idea. I thought they would be a distraction. I thought they would make a lot of noise. You know, um, I wasn't exactly sure how it would work out financially because I kind of like what you're probably you just expressed to like you're always changing your music and music is always changing right so it's kind of a both and Mm -hmm. and I'm just like if we have slides we can just change the slides it doesn't cost us anything and just set it up and project it and you know what I mean um but I I don't know if that itself was also a distraction like the projector Mm -hmm. because if you're projecting unless you can somehow project up and over the monstrance so people's like at least the line of vision is still like the same it's gonna pull your attention away you know and, and everything you want to do wants to lead towards the lord and i mean if you know the songs it's not a big deal but if you don't know the songs then you're not going to be you're going to be looking like off to the right or to the left however you set that up wherever that space is that works for you um so that's kind of how the songbooks came about um we decided that you know the songbooks are are an investment but they were an investment that was worth making um for our parish and the other part of that too was like you know they they can be a distraction but they can also you can also hold them in such a way that you're able to read the music and look at the lord mm-hmm. so it at the end of the day i w- i would say don't let distraction be be a reason you don't do something because anything like that is always going to be a distraction but i think the benefit of it far outweighs it um you know, because the other thing too is like, my goodness, if something happens, because you know, you have to, you have to anticipate that technology will fail, right? Like that's constant, that book's there. Um, or if like my, our mics go out and people can't hear us, like they have the lyrics, they can sing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was also a way that fostered people to sing. Yeah. Having the lyrics. Um, you know, I think that that was a, a big thing for us. So those those came about in, in that way. Um, and then in terms of actual production, I make those every year. Um, and I just kind of put out a, like a survey. I ask a bunch of people and I'm like, hey, what worship songs are you really into right now? And I kind of compile this list and then I pray through the list and I try and keep some steady ones in there, some that don't change every year. So it's not like you're starting over every year and people have to relearn things every year. But um, so there are some constants in there. And then there are new songs every year for people to to learn and, and pray with. Um, so and we found them helpful when we travel because we'll take kids to the March for Life or Haiti or wherever we're going. Even when we went to the Holy Land, we had them with us. Um, and that was super, super helpful, both as a musician, because all of my chords are in there, too. It's not just the lyrics, but my chords are above it. Um, so it's very helpful for me. So I don't have to carry a binder around or anything. And then of course it's, um, helpful for your assembly for them to be able to pray along with you. Mm, Yeah. Didn't we leave some in Haiti? Is that still a thing? Yes. We left a ton in Haiti. Um, I don't know if we left any this time around. I think we left, we left less than we did the last time. 
mm-hmm. because I think we left them on our April trip, mm. um, that old batch, because I knew I was making new ones. Okay. Um, whereas this time around, we didn't know that COVID was going to cancel our life. So <laughs> we didn't really leave as many because we were like, oh, we'll be back in like a month and we'll leave you a bunch then. It'll be no big deal. Yeah. Uh, nah. So um, I think they have a few, but I don't think they have as many as I would have liked to leave with them. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Stop reminding me. I'm sorry. Plane to Haiti in 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. What else? What else? Have you always had the support of a priest? Like, has Father Sneesha been there from day one? And have you ever had to do it without a priest? Um, I've, yeah, I've been fortunate to always have the support of a priest. So Father Sneesha, he, he was the one who initiated the Holy Hour um, four years ago. And then from there, he, he knew I could sing. He knew I could play guitar. So it was kind of like that invitation of like, would you be willing to do this? And I was like, yeah. So um, praying that way is is my favorite way to pray. So it wasn't like a big stressor for me. There are definitely times where it's, um, it's you're tired and I'll get to that, like how to, how to lead worship when you're, when you don't feel like it essentially. Um, but uh there are definitely moments where it's like, oh my goodness, I feel like I don't have anything left. But usually those are like the most beautiful times of prayer because it's like, I don't get in the way anymore. <laughs> you know, like there's no ego, there's no me mm-hmm. left to get in the Lord's way. Um, but yeah, sorry, long story short, yes. Um, I've always had the the support of a priest um, when it comes to holy hour um, and holy hour with music. Mm, yeah, maybe we should we should put a pin in that for later when Faith and I recap the episode because we... A little, a little bit different at BC. Oh, um, a lot bit different. A lot bit different. Oh, no. Um, and it's just, it's different to be a lay person um, doing all that and juggling, like, leading and reflection and right exposing and reposing and the technicalities of that. Right. Um, but on the topic of, like, roles and teams and whatnot, it started off with you and your guitar, and now, like, there literally is no more room for, like, any other people, and there are so many instruments so how, how do you like, we need to hear this. How do you keep it all together? And like, how do you like organize those people, make it sound right. good? Rehearsal. Do you guys rehearse beforehand or like, how do you, how do you best organize like balancing the different roles and, and getting sheet music for all of those instruments? <laughs> yeah. So I'm super fortunate. I have a great team. Um, this team really did not come together to the degree that it is until this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for the past like four years, I've had a few singers. First, it was just me, I think. And yeah. then, then I like halfway through that, that year when we moved to res, um, I grabbed a few people that I was like, heard you could sing. Guess what you're doing? You're singing. So like, kind of started pulling people in like that. And um, the other, the other part of that too, is just equipping them. Cause like, I know the people I pull are teens. I know they're not going to be there forever. So to be able to build confidence now so that when they go off to wherever they're going, they can start a group if they want to, or they can support an existing group. Um, So I was, I was pulling people for that. And, um, but I always found that it would like, it would always taper off halfway through the year. Um, and I couldn't figure out why. And I know people like, I mean, I know it's like schedules change and things get busy and life happens, you know? Um, but that was always something I wrestled with of just how do I keep them 
you know, cause I was like, we pray together, we get there. Um, holy hour starts at, at eight 30 and I asked them to be there by seven 15 or seven 30, the latest so that we can do sound checks. Um, cause that was something I wildly underestimated when I first started. I wasn't, I'm self-taught. I don't have vocal lessons. I never had guitar lessons. Um, so a lot of this, I was just kind of learning as I go and reaching out to people who actually had that experience and trying to learn from them. And I wildly underestimated um, sound check, and it's very important. And it seems almost when I first uh, observed it or heard about it, it seemed like a very like strict musician thing to do, and I didn't see the value in it. But now that I've started to to take up that practice, it's uh, it's invaluable. It's invaluable because if the people can't hear you and your job is to lead the people, then it's like it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like what's being you too loud, taking you away from the Lord. That's yeah. We've definitely yeah. That you know? sometimes. Yeah. So um yeah so we kind of build that technique as we go again like that trial by error. So inviting people in more and more, and I think the game changer for us was um you got to get them to buy in, right? So it's always the first year it might just be you and then start pulling from people who are already coming every week. If there are people there who can sing and are already coming every week, they're already bought in. So you don't really need to like convince them of a time commitment because they're already there. You have to add an extra hour, but it's okay. Like that's not a big deal. Um, And then the, the other thing that we did this year, we are just fortunate enough that we were able to pay our musicians. Um, So that, that definitely keeps them, coming and keeps them coming consistently and they only get paid for the weeks that they show up Mm. so if they they want to get paid they come you know so it's one of those um and then there are consistents like i'm i'm always there matt is always there um and then we'll have um you know the other musicians fill in every other week is usually what they end up doing or or twice a month so it could be two weeks in a row and two weeks off or something like that but whatever it is we we try to keep them to to um twice a month and then just work around schedules on how that works and if half the band can come at some point and the other half can come the other weeks then that's kind of cool because it spreads out over the four weeks of the month and it looks like there's you know always always someone there with us um so yeah just being flexible in that and the biggest thing like I said is buy-in you gotta get them to buy in draw from that crowd that's already there because it's one less battle you'll have to fight in terms of getting them to settle on the time commitment um and then of course like like pray, pray for those musicians, pray for those people to, to come, um, to come forward, or even just for the Lord to point them out to you and for the courage to ask them. Cause I think the biggest excuse you guys are not excuse, but the, the biggest block you guys might encounter is, um, you're probably afraid to ask someone to commit more time. As, some, as college students yourselves, knowing how, how busy your schedules can be and how heavy the workload can be um, to hesitate for those reasons. But to, and I encourage you not to, because I'm sure that there are, there are people who are just waiting to be asked and for, for their gifts to be called out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, once you have a team, always pray together beforehand um, mm-hmm. because it's never, it's never about us. The second it becomes about us or it becomes this, like, vocal gain where someone is trying to outsing the other person like it's you've already lost you know Mm -hmm. true very true all right what other advice do you got for us I know you are very prepared and have a list of notes so prepared some of them I've um 
touched on a little bit. So yeah, like pray, obviously like pray, pray, pray. I'll, I'll never stop pushing that because it's, it's key um, because it's so easy in any, in any role that you are given like authority, quote unquote, which to define like authority. So it's not misunderstood because I think there's a negative connotation there. It's delegated power. Mm. So like a police officer has authority to enforce the law. If he comes up to you and says like, you're under arrest, that actually carries some weight because he has that authority. But if I come up to you and say that, you're probably like, you're insane. Please stay six feet away from me because (laughs) of COVID-19. You know what I mean? Like there's just like, there's a difference there. I don't have that authority, right? Um, where the officer does because he has it from the government and under the law, he has the ability to enforce the laws. So as a worship leader, you are given a level of authority of delegated power and that, that authority or that power is to lead people into worship. So it's never about you. Like your goal is to lead people to the Lord. So the second that you lose that goal or that vision your, your authority becomes warped. Um, so that's why prayer is so important. Um, the other part of that too, is it'll help you not take yourself too seriously. Like so many times when my mic has gone out so many times, I'll feel like I'm, I'm giving, you know, I feel like the Lord is speaking a message to the assembly and I start to talk about it. Um, and my mic, they can't hear me. And it's like, father's giving me like hand signs that he's like, Mm -hmm. I can't hear you. And you're like, oh, you're like a little frustrated because you're just like, ah, dang it. You know? And it's like, okay, like this is me not taking myself too seriously. It's not about me anyways. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, like, don't take yourself too seriously. You're going to have that voice crack. You're going to miss that note. You're going to miss that beat. It happens. Most of the time, no one's going to notice. Like you're just nitpicking yourself. Um, So yeah, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, God is your source, right? So um, if anything goes well, like praise the Lord. If you don't have any technical glitches, praise the Lord. Like it's always, you always give him the glory um, because you're just an instrument. Your delegated power is from him. So it's, there's never a moment where you claim it for yourself, you know, you know, someone might come up to you and compliment you and you could say thank you because that's a polite response. But I always try and follow it up with like, to God be the glory, you know, to always, I about that this morning. <laughs> I really? this morning. Yeah. Long oh. story. We're talking about the gift of prophecy and such and quoted you with that. Oh, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that my message like stuck with you. Good. <laughs> but yeah, always, always try and give it back to him because it's not, it's never you, you know? Um, and then for a practical, cause I feel like I'm, I'm speaking in a lot of abstracts, um, a practical model of how to lead worship, um, that I follow. It's just one way. It's not the only way, but I found it to be effective is called the temple model. So it's based on Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, but it's also kind of based on the three stages of the spiritual life. Um, so I'm just going to kind of walk through those if that's cool. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So, so if you kind of imagine like an, like a square, so you draw a square um, or a rectangle and that, that first level is the outer courts. So that is, um, that's the place where you've got like those upbeat songs. Maybe it's like, um, like this is amazing grace or something like that, like those faster upbeat songs. And the point of those songs is to actually, um, 
draw in the flesh, which is weird probably to hear, uh, especially if you're listening to this and you have some sort of worship background. Um, you know, the, the goal is to engage the soul, but a lot of the times like our, our flesh is in the way, like we are walking in with worries or, or anxieties or whatever situation. And we really need to work to like disengage what we're coming from to engage into what we're entering into. So that's why um, those upbeat songs are actually good and not to be like feared or avoided. So those are the outer courts. The next inner um, rectangle would be the inner courts. And that's where you start to like, you slow it down. That's when the mind starts to get engaged. And that's um, where you would um, use more lyrically rich songs. So those songs that as a musician might be like a little bit of a tongue twister, at least for me, they are like all of the new Hillsong songs. Mm. Another inspire. Yeah. They're like very lyrically rich, but they're like kind of, you kind of stumble through them. Like you have to practice them. Also, you should always practice. Let me just say that, but you definitely have to practice those ones. Um, But that would be considered like an inner court song where it's slowing down, but it's not slow. And the lyrics get you to think. They engage the mind. Um, then you move into the holy place. So in Solomon's temple, the holy place was actually reserved um, just for the priests. And inside the holy place is the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was where they kept the Ark of the Covenant and was actually the place where the presence of God dwelt. So um, that next little rectangle is the, the holy place. And that's where you really start to slow down the music. And it gets very simple and very repetitive. So that would be um, something like uh, Healing Rain, Mm. right? A song like that was very, very simple, very, very repetitive. Anyone can pick it up. It's just, again, to engage, that's now engaging the heart where the mind doesn't have to be thinking about, okay, like this next course was different than the last course. And the, you know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of different, like moving away. (laughs) Yeah. You're moving away from that and into just like almost like a meditative state, right? Again, the goal is to lead into contemplation. And then um, the last, the last spot would be the Holy of Holies, that place where the spirit, the presence of the Lord dwells. And the goal of that is silence. And that's where you've gotten to the point where like, you've engaged the flesh to disengage people from their, their um, life outside, not outside of the church, but outside of those walls. Um, You've engaged the mind, you've engaged the heart, and now you're still. Mm-hmm. And that's where the silence comes in. And that's where heart speaks to heart. Like that's where those moments, hopefully those profound moments of conversation with the Lord take place. Um, so that's kind of the model that I follow and how that overlaps with the spiritual life. Uh, the three stages of the spiritual life will be the purgative stage. So that's, again, that's the flesh. Those are the outer courts. The illuminative stage, that's the mind, the inner courts the unitive stage, which is the holy place. So those are those, those slow songs, the, the place of the heart. And then of course the goal is contemplation, which would be the holy of holies. Um, so that's kind of the model I follow. And it's, like I said, it's based off of Solomon's temple, but it's also based off of a quote from the catechism, um, catechism 2704, which says that vocal prayer becomes an initial form of contemplative prayer. And that's what we're doing, you know, um, to use music, and to use this platform and this gift, um, you know, scripture says, enter the courts of the Lord with songs of praise, with shouts of praise, right? To enter in with music, but to lead to the, the presence of God, and that, that dwelling place. Um, so vocal prayer should ultimately lead to contemplation. And this is just one model that um, you can use. 
Um, but to remember it's all about his presence and it's all about him. Yeah. Um, so that's like, that would be like a concrete example of, of how to lead worship. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I guess a concrete set example for music, like a good half an hour set could be like, this is amazing grace, which leads into glory to glory by Bethel, which is a little bit older. I don't know how many people know that one. Um, good, good father. And then like, let it rain, you know, something, something like that. And then silence. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would be like a half an hour set, but you can always pick more than one song per stage, just depending on how much time you have, or if someone's leading a meditation or not, or how much time for silence you want to build in. Cause the other reality too, is depending on, um, where you're starting all of this, you might have an assembly that isn't ready to sit for 10 minutes in silence. Mm -hmm. You know, they might only be able to do three. And like, you got to start with that and to build up to that. And, um, one other sidebar, and then I will kind (laughs) of, this is, um, a big thing that I learned, um, leading worship is to, you always have to have your ear like on the heart of God, because you need to be able to listen to what he's saying, because he's going to guide you so many times my set list have been has been changed like mid worship set all the time where I'm like I prayed through it I think this is what we're supposed to do and then like the night starts and it's like "Mm, nope we're going this way so it's like all right like to be flexible again like don't take yourself too seriously like um so keep keep your your ear on the heart of God and also to pay attention to the assembly like what do they need um what do they need this week is it different than what you had planned? Are you willing to adjust the sales? Um, because I, I definitely found myself caught in this trap of like, there were songs that I didn't want to play just because I personally was sick of playing them. And that's not fair. Cause it's not about you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, it took me a while to learn that lesson, but when it, when I did learn it, I, it, there's so much value in that, um, to understand that, like, if your assembly wants to hear oceans for the thousandth time then you should consider playing oceans you don't have to do it every week mm-hmm. but if you haven't done it in six months you can probably do it for one night you know what I mean like if that's really what's good because the goal is to lead them into worship you know what I mean and like you've got to be in a place too especially as a worship leader where like you got to have your own prayer life you've got to have a solid consistent daily prayer life and you got to stay close to the sacraments because um how do you expect to hear the voice of the Lord if your ears are so clogged, if your heart is so clogged, you know, so to, to regularly take advantage of, you know, the sacrament of confession, I recommend every other week. Um, and, you know, obviously weekly mass at a, at a minimum, you know, daily mass when you can. So yes, those are all my tips. You were speaking so much truth. And I <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I yeah. hope it's helpful. I feel like you were like, we're just going to do 15 minutes. I was like, LOL, it's not going to be 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's good. It's great. Um, I have, I, so to be completely honest, I uh, woke up this morning and I was like, so Faith, it's Saturday and I need a podcast for Monday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So th- this happened and this exceeded all expectations um yeah i've never heard the, the temple model before i've heard um colin mcbride uses kind of the analogy of like shooting into space like you need like something to like fuel the rocket and oh, so like, yeah power the rocket and then you need like the upbeat and like the 
don't know, you need to get the rocket up and then you can hang in orbit eventually. Mm, yeah. There's more to it than that, but like you, right. even like you can use that like kind of like a meta model within songs, like mm -hmm. you're building up and then at the end of a song you can hang in orbit. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a song, like, I don't know, like No Place I'd Rather Be, like, right. you can like pow use power and like get it up into space and then hang in the orbit. Right, right. Slow it down. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah, because a lot of those places, like, I think it's where I usually do it. I think it's like um, inner holy place. Like, once you get to the holy place, like, following the temple model or whatever, um, that's where you can, like, dr start dropping instruments and you can yeah. start, like, doing acapella kind of stuff but stylistically. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it sounds a lot like that, like what, what Colin talks about of like launching the rocket and then like that hang time would be like dropping instruments, maybe just voices, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So much good stuff. I love you so much. <laughs> oh, I love you too. Thank you so much for inviting me on again. You're welcome. All right, so we have our friend Delia on the Zoom line. Um, Hello. Yes, Delia went to Resurrection with me. We were on the same core team, and we went to Haiti together and whatnot. And then oh she God. came, she followed me to BC. <laughs> <laughs> Which has... Yeah, I followed Olivia. Just living in Olivia's uh, Definitely how it happened, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only reason why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we roped you into praise and worship adoration, which has been a beautiful joy. Um, so much fun, yes. Yeah. My favorite part of college. Maybe not my absolute, one of my favorite parts of college <laughs> so far. <laughs> praise and worship adoration. So much fun. Um, all right. So a few things that I want to get out of this conversation is kind of like how how you got involved with Resurrections Holy Hour, because we just talked to Michaela about that. Um, mm -hmm. in the magical world of time jumping around podcasting. Um, we just talked to Michaela. <laughs> and then um, how you got involved in res, how you got involved at BC, and then what you've learned from those experiences that you would tell other people to do. Even like technically, like with Michaela, we like talked like set lists, song books, oh, yeah. like, real like nuts and bolts. Like, oh yeah. yeah. What do you, what do, you do? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, um, so Holy Hour at Res started after our first trip to Haiti, and it was not praise and worship for a while. It started out um, just the group of us who had gone to Haiti in 2017, um, the first trip, and we it was really more of just like weekly reunions for us, and we would pray like a rosary, or we would have intentions, and so that's how Holy Hour started. And then um, I think probably, you know, a few people who had been doing music during mass at that time started bringing um, praise and worship music into it. And eventually like Michaela started playing for us and then we started um, opening it up. And now it, it's a huge thing there. And now like, I don't know, like a hundred people go or something every yeah, week. Almost 200. Yeah. Yeah, but it started out as like a, a 20 of us um, every Thursdays and every Thursday, Thursdays, every <laughs> Thursday and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's, it started out really small and now it's something really big, which 
it was really beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's really grown. So I, that's how I got, I went on that trip to Haiti. So that's how I started going to it. And I mean, I didn't play in it for a while. Um, how I got into music at Resurrection was actually after Discipleship Week. Right. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. So Michaela had been playing every week throughout the year and the summer. And then when we were coming back from Discipleship Week in 2017, summer on 2017, it was Thursday. Yeah, it was a Thursday. And on the bus, Michaela, or before we were got, got on the bus, Michaela was saying, oh, I'm not going to be there. Um, we'll have no one because Brianna would sing or like Kathleen yeah. Keenan would sing but um, she's like oh we, we're gonna have no instrumentals and I don't know why I was just there and <laughs> I was I was hearing this conversation between Michaela and father and I said oh like yeah I could I could play piano for you like I wasn't even really comfortable playing guitar for them yet um, so I told them I, I could play piano for them um, and they were like, oh, yeah, like, of course. So, like, then Brianna and I, you know, came up with, like, a set list. And and what's actually really funny is that when I got there, um, we didn't we didn't know how to turn on the piano, the keyboard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so, like, I, that's how, like, I didn't, at that point in time, I'd never done music at church at all. I did not know how the sound system worked, anything. Yeah. So I didn't know how to, we didn't know how to turn anything on. Like, Brianna knew how to turn the mics on, but that was it. Mm. So we did not know how anything worked. So she she had brought her guitar. So I ended up playing guitar. Yeah. Um, but not piano that night. But then when I when I went back, I started doing it every week because Michaela, you know, goes away every summer. Yeah. So I started playing just instrumental piano for them or guitar. Mm. Um, and then and then like a few weeks into that, um, Brianna couldn't come. So it was me and Mac. So then that's how I started singing for them. Um, and I didn't consider myself a singer at all, but I passed the vibe check, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> then I started doing that every week. And yeah, and then and then the following year I started singing at mass and started doing every holy hour of piano and singing. And um, yeah, and and then so I did that for a while and, and I would do them over the summers when Michaela went away. And then when I got to BC, I obviously like, I didn't join lag right away. Yeah. Um, but I'm so happy that like you invited me to praise and worship. Like, I'm so happy. It was such a, a, a homey, a home place for me. Yeah. It, felt, it was something so familiar mm -hmm. um, at the start of college and and it, it even grew in the time that we were there this yeah. year. So, so yeah, that's how I got into praise and worship was a conversation after discipleship week. Yeah, yeah I like vividly remember that. And like, I remember yeah. being on the bus and father being like, you ready for tonight? Delia? I know. Yeah. He was like hyping me up and I was like scared and I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm so ready. And I was listening to all the songs on the bus. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And everybody was like having fun conversations, like post discipleship week talk. And I was like, mm -hmm. I had headphones in and I was just listening to Oceans on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my yeah. favorite song, right? Yeah. I know. I remember Oceans was the first song that I ever played at Resurrection mm -hmm. on yeah. the guitar, which is, yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. So, yep. Probably like your first time and like last time playing that song, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think Michaela said something when we were talking to her about how, like, uh, I forget how she worded it, but, like, there are those songs that, like, everyone loves, but you just, like, as a musician, no. Don't want to play it (laughs) But, like, you have to, like, play it every once in a while because it's what people want, not what you want. And Mm -hmm. I turned to Faith, and I I think I said Oceans or What a Beautiful Name. What a Beautiful Name is more tolerable, but Oceans – Oceans gets a little repetitive, I will yeah. say. Yeah, we, I think we were just the biggest one I, oh, oh, no, sorry. The biggest one I think that's, like, popular that I, like, don't vibe with all the time is... Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit. I, just, I can't. It's too repetitive for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't... I just... I already don't really like the song as it is. And then everybody loves it for some reason. Yep. It's not that musically interesting. Like, I don't get the hype, but like, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, we just heard it on the radio and yeah. we, we literally oh, we mentioned you because I was like, <laughs> I know Delia doesn't like the song. Because yeah. I just yeah. like, the way I mean, you were like, well, no, great, duh. Like, the first time I heard yeah. it. Yeah. It was but like, good, that but was it. Yeah. I feel like I really liked Oceans and Holy Spirit and like maybe Good, Good Father and stuff. Like, when I first got into praise and worship music, and then it wore off. Like, yeah, that's, I, yeah, I totally, I feel that. I remember when I first, all the time, like, those 20-minute long YouTube videos of, like, praise and worship with spontaneous and everything, and I would just watch them on mm-hmm. repeat, and, you know, they all do Good Good Father and Holy Spirit and Oceans, and those are all over the internet, and that's, I feel, I just, like, drowned myself in that for a really long while, um, and, yeah, I'm, like, past it now, so. Yep. Yeah. I forgot about the, like, I would watch those with the spontaneous, too, the spontaneous worship in the middle. Yeah, Stephanie, my gal. Yes. The best spontaneous videos. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. Yeah. Michaela um, just texted me the other day to listen to her new album, which I have not done yet. Um, I haven't either. I um, honestly, like, I didn't love her last album. Like, I don't really love her solo albums. I liked her first solo album. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think I've listened to her newest one because I didn't really love the last, last one. one. You know whose new album is good, though? Matt Marr's newest album? So Interesting. Good. Okay, because yeah. I don't usually love him, gonna yeah. be honest. I know he's really hyped, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, cr- country worship, like, that's, like, country worship to me, and I don't, yeah. I'm not a big country person, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I but like you spend time with this one. You, you learn to love it. There's so much country in this house all the time. Interesting. It's, like, it's like the same, like, <laughs> five songs on yeah. repeat. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's yeah, really and all the songs thing. sound the same. They do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people um, do disagree with me on that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure not every song is exactly the same, but yes, I, yeah. there's definitely a country template out there somewhere mm-hmm. that everybody is just using. So. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, I'm not hating on the country. It's just every time I come home, that is the only thing on. It's literally just, yeah, the same yeah. songs over and over. Like, I, I know the songs now. Yes. As someone oh, who's wow. not a country fan. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's I, I can sing along to them. And so. the five songs on the <laughs> oh, playlist were the same when we came home over fall, fall break. break. <laughs> as they are when we came oh, home. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Country. What a time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not for everyone. So. No. All right. Yeah. So the other part of that, what, after learning a lot through trial and error, 
at res and vc what kind of advice would you give to people who are trying to start up a holy hour on their own yeah so i think the first lesson that i learned in praise and worship was um turning on a sound system <laughs> honestly i think a lot of people just go into like oh we'll just do praise and worship it's gonna be great and then there are just so many little logistics that um, are really just kind of brushed under the rug. And honestly, like learning how to turn on just the sound system at Res and turn on the amp and everything has is a skill on its own that I brought to so many places like LAG and BC, mm. um, Praise and Worship, and I mean, so many other random places. I mean, if you know how to turn on an amp, like you will be the most helpful person in the room somewhere, anywhere you go. Um, and like, that's just a skill on its own. Um, aside from <laughs> aside from that, I think what I learned at Res Praise and Worship was more about a lot of confidence um, things. I think it was really good for me to start out in a in a environment that I felt very comfortable in and I felt like I really knew the people I was playing for because as I said it started out really small and it started out as like a very tight-knit group of us who would go every week and so I think growing with that praise and worship um group like as that group grew I grew just playing for them and it definitely allowed me to become more confident playing um in any situation really like I don't think that if I had started out over that summer playing in front of like 20 people I don't think I would have been able to sing at mass in front of a hundred however many, yeah. many people go to mass every week you know mm -hmm. so that was definitely the biggest thing I learned there that like knowing your environment and your community, even if you don't know your environment and your community, but trusting that where you are is like a sacred space and um, a safe space, even if you're not familiar with it, if you just trust in that, like you will be so much more confident. It'll be so much easier just to, to play anything at all. Um, and I think that that was the main thing I learned at Res. I think I've learned more at BC Praise and Worship honestly because obviously like Michaela really had a really good understanding of the songs every week and like with her kind of leading that there it was much easier to follow her and to it was it was much more comfortable to like kind of let her take that lead to come up with the set lists every week um to introduce the new songs um to Resurrection and I think that um, us trying to do that on our, on our own at BC, like with no really, you know, adult grad student, whatever mentor has like been a lot more challenging and it's allowed me to grow a lot more. I think that, um, and I mean, you guys can probably attest to this, but I think the biggest thing that I've learned at BC is that even though praise and worship is such a special performance in a way, and it's more than a performance, it's, um, it's, it's a prayer. It's, still requires like so much practice like practice makes perfect does not excuse itself in yeah. this situation yeah, sure. I think there were a lot of times that we um would be preparing and we would say oh like we'll just let God take care of this one like if we don't know what to do like God will will help us and like yeah like he will but I think that what I learned at BC is that 
if if not if not more than what you already have to do you have to practice just as much yeah um as anything else because it's when you can trust yourself when you trust yourself that you're playing what you know that you know what you're playing and that you're playing everything perfectly like when you know that for yourself that's when like those moments happen with the Holy Spirit where, where God can just take over, you know, and it's, it's a lot easier to let him in when you're confident in what you're doing. And it's hard to be confident if you, if you don't know what you're doing. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned um, at BC. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That is super solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. You can totally like psych yourself out. Mm -hmm. And when you like, I feel like at least I, like the first couple of times I did it, I was thinking about it too much of as, an, as a performance. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I just need to sing these words right. You know, I don't want to mess up the like chorus, blah, blah, blah. But then like, if you're not confident in yourself, then like, at least for me, like it just totally took away from the prayer. And I like forgot yeah. that Jesus was right there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I was right. like, I'm, like, so you just like, you were saying, like you have to make sure you're practicing enough that you are confident that you can actually like, be present in the moment to the God that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's even easier to think of it as like a performance in that area, in that space when it's like, you might not know. I mean, I know that I don't really know everybody who comes to praise and worship at BC. And so I think when you don't really know everybody who's, who's coming and watching you, that's when it kind of feels more like a performance. Like at res, I, I knew everyone who was there. So it felt much more, prayerful in that environment and it was it was hard to kind of get into that mindset at bc um when i didn't know as many people at first and again that's just kind of like a confidence thing and that's just knowing in myself that i i know what i'm doing and that this is something that i enjoy doing and it's something that like i've been doing for a while and it doesn't matter where i am you know like this this songs and the prayers are still constant in all of those places and yeah, I think that's just something you have to remind yourself when you make a switch like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That it does. I don't know. It's almost like the worship leader is like, like coming from the people. Like you're just like leading your friend. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's a little bit more uncomfortable when it feels like you're up there and they're down there, and it's not just like you're with people. Um, yeah. 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 I know. That's why. Like my favorite I think some of my favorite moments that I've had playing praise and worship music are are over the summers at res when we're just when it's kind of just like a few of us left after a life night like around a fire or something yeah and like we start playing like those are my favorite moments because it's it's like the smaller settings that are just so much more like personal and it and it feels more like a prayer that way when it's when it's smaller and more compact and more personal and I think the biggest thing that I've had to learn how to do is to bring that feeling to a bigger environment, to any place. Yeah. 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 I feel like that was what we like, I remember us having a conversation like at the end of like last year when we wanted to like find that perfect balance because Mm -hmm. we could tell that like we were the best when we were the most comfortable, comfortable and it was like the most chill. But then at the same time, like we want to be professional at the same time, you know? Yeah. So I think that's the most important thing. Like if you're trying to start this at your school, at your home parish, like you, it's a lot of trial and error, like finding like what's comfortable for you so you can perform the best. But then like, of course you still 
want to be somewhat professional yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And it's when you kind of establish that ground as like a professional that then you can open yourself up to the, to the more intimate, spontaneous moments. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Hmm. Solid, solid advice. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Delia. Thank you for having me. Easter. It's Easter night. We just watched the 7 p.m. mass. We started watching This Is Us. Faith, you're like slipping on the microphone. <laughs> okay. Is this gonna be it? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, while we were talking to Delia, I had two thoughts that I remembered things that we said we were gonna get back to that we should get back to now. And, um, yes. And that came up while we were talking to Delia. The brain cells just aren't working right now. But stop <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> I'm completely professional. Yes. Very professional. We are podcasters, Faith. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was weird. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out which one's less serious to go to. that Because I feel like talking about like the role of a priest right now. Is, and clericalism in the church is not where we should go. Yeah, let's start with the environment. Yes, okay. So we talked about environment and atmosphere a little bit with Michaela. She talked about the cloths that they use, whether or not tea lights worked for them. Tea lights work for us because um, right after... So the way that our holy hour is at Boston College is it's at 9 p.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> before our yes. 10 p.m. mass. There's more to be said there, but we're not going to say it. It's nine. It, it was nine p.m. It was nine p.m. In it future, may be changed. In future semesters, it will be moved up to eight forty-five or eight forty or eight thirty-seven. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, there. Yes. Yep. Um, there's always bureaucracy, and yes. So, in order to maximize the amount of time with Jesus and to still leave room for people to set up for ten p.m. mass and um, respect that atmosphere. We will move it up a little bit in future, but trial and error, um, for sure. So, atmosphere, environment, timing. Um, The other thing, so St. Joseph's Chapel at BC is a very oddly shaped chapel. It is the basement of a dorm. But this could apply to multiple different types of spaces. Not, Not your traditional, like, Roman Rite, like... I'm blanking on the word. Cross shape. Cross. Thanks. There, there's a word for it though. The, the <laughs> architecture the of normal parishes, where like center aisle, equal amounts on either side. Um, we tried being off to the left of the altar, mm-hmm. kind of like up against the wall of like behind the sanctuary. Um, again, this is a weirdly set up place because the tabernacle's way off to the side and whatever. Um, we've we tried there first, and then I think we went back to the back of the middle aisle, which yeah. is not as far back as it would be in a normal parish, because it's this is more of, like, a circular amphitheater-shaped space. Yeah. Um, I love how I'm hand-gesturing as if that's going to help anyone, but it's not. <laughs> um, but the point is, we were not that back far from the altar, and we were surrounded with the people, um, we did not use a sound system when we were over there, except for when I was leading prayer, I had a wireless mic. 
because the sound system would not reach over there. But since we were surrounded by the people, we thought it was fine. We were projecting t equally to people around us. And it was less of a, like, here we are, here we're the leaders, like, an us and them congregation versus us, like, us staring at each other. It was a, we are part of the people, and we just so happen to be the delegates who are leading, but we're yeah. all part of one. Yeah. That, I don't know, we we changed that up for a bunch of reasons. It, we were very close to people. Um, yeah. We were very loud for the people right next to us. People didn't want to sit next to us, and thus we ended up being too quiet for the people who did not want to have human contact and thus sat way off in the other corner. Um, so then we came back to where we were before, like uh, off to the left of the sanctuary, um, where the sound system was. Sound checks, like Michaela said, were so important. Um, and we've like changed a little bit where in that general vicinity we have been, like we kitty cornered ourselves. So like we were kind of like diagonally between Jesus and the people. Yeah. Because we were getting too close to people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, I feel it's, there's, like, highs and lows to different locations that we tried. Like, like you said, when we were with the people, like, <laughs> I personally liked it because we were, like, facing Jesus straight mm -hmm. on. Yeah. But as Michaela mentioned and everyone else, like, you know, like, we are trying to serve, so it's not just about what you want. Um. So definitely on the side as well. I think that we found it's prob it, it has been the best, I feel like, leading people um, to make sure that we're not distracting. Because I feel like yes. when us being in the middle was definitely a distraction. Of course, we don't want to do that. Um, so being on the side, I think, has been pretty good. But then, um, yeah, I, th I thought that mm. was probably the yeah. solid. And good point about the distraction. Like, when we weren't using a sound system, now that we are using mics and, like, amps and such and we're not so close we can like shut off all of those things or put down the instruments or turn away from the microphones and we can have conversations with each other about like we change songs like halfway through like yeah we always like yeah yeah we all we never stick to our set list completely um so we can have those conversations without feeling like everyone's like what are they talking about because they're like two feet away from us yeah for sure. um which is also something that like we do with Michaela at Resurrection and whatnot. Um, there was something else I was going to say there, but I don't happen to remember what it was. Oh, I was going to run through. So Michaela ran through like the temple model for worship. Generally, we follow. I would say generally we follow the temple motto model, um, but I have always used the like shooting into space orbit, hanging Colin McBride way of doing things just because that's how I learned. Um, but I feel like most of us have, like, intuitively, like, we have the instincts for that, yeah. kind of. So we figured out, but we always did three songs break three songs. And that was our, yeah. it would never stay exactly like that. But we would, um, we would do, like, expose Jesus and a little bit of prayer, welcome everyone, whatever, first song little bit of a reflection second song reflection third song announce that you're gonna have like five or ten minutes of silence based on how much time you have um but alert people that there's going to be a little bit more silence um and then even your musicians can scatter go closer to the monstrance um that's a good time to like regroup sometimes i would even turn off like 
the instruments and like mics and stuff so we could move around without making too much noise um and then we would do three more songs with reflection-y prayer in between not always but like i don't know you might not have someone who is i don't know comfortable doing that um and sometimes like there are just times when the lord is like be quiet olivia please don't say anything (laughs) or there are times where he's like okay break into this song like you got this like there there's something somebody needs to hear um Mm. yeah so that that's a whole nother i don't know i feel like it'd be good to do a podcast i've been wanting to do this for a while um kind of hmm I don't know. I, I would like to do a podcast on the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was going to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't know about them. Like the gifts of like healing and prophecy and tongues and like all of those, like, I don't know, the charismatic gifts, but. I didn't know about them, honestly, until I got involved in Life Teen and yeah. baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would be good to do. It's just, I don't know. It's hard because you need so much. You cannot do any of those gifts on your own, and... Well, yeah, it's totally God Yes, you. but, like, on your own <laughs> with people, too. Like, you need, like, you need a community, and you need someone, like, watching over you to make sure that you're not gonna, like, misuse any of the gifts, and, like, I don't know, I'd hate for someone to hear podcasts and be like, I want to try prophecy, <laughs> and yeah, have that go wrong. Of course. But also, at the same time, they're very interesting, and if you know that they're a thing, then maybe you can seek out the right community, the right priest, um or the right, um, like, anointed person to pray over you for those gifts and such, um, because typically that's how those gifts go. They go from one person who has them to another, um, yeah, and on the topic of priests, this is important, um, and a very touchy subject, so we're gonna leave all of our touchiness. I don't even know. We're, we're not gonna bring that touchiness (laughs) in. We are professionals. We are professionals, um, so, and also for for the people listening, like, a lot of people have a lot of feelings on, like, um, obviously, I, I would like to classify myself as a tradismatic, um, neither, like, somewhat traditional and orthodox, but also, like, I don't know, very charismatic, obviously. Um, so I, I understand the side that, like, EMs, like, lay EMs shouldn't be a thing, like, the priest, like, his hands have been consecrated for that work. I, I get that field, um, and I see the beauty in it for sure. Like, if given the choice, I go to divine liturgy on Sundays, <laughs> but, like, also, I appreciate, like, praying in tongues and stuff. Stuff. So, um, you do not need a priest for adoration, for praise and worship adoration. So, obviously, that is a huge benefit, and if you can offer, like, hearing confessions or have priests be, like, offering reflection and prayer during that time, that is obviously way more preferable. Do that. Um, benediction, huge grace is flowing from that. Um, so definitely option number one, have a priest there. Have a good supportive priest. If you do not happen to be that lucky, um, as resurrection is, the only, so obviously you need a priest to consecrate Jesus. That is important. If you're can't, not can't do that by yourself. If you're not doing that, go listen to a different one of my podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> um, this ain't for you. Um, but um, you do need permission of a priest to have adoration of any kind. A priest has to authorize 
you as a layperson and has to be aware um, that you are in the church doing what you're doing and exposing Jesus because he's his job is to protect and foster relationship with our Eucharistic Lord um, and you can't go behind his back. So on a campus that looks like going through campus ministry, um, through parish that looks like going through your priest, um, you do have to be a Eucharistic minister or that is heavily preferable um, in order to expose and repose. Um, obviously that is all you can do. You cannot do benediction. That is not something that you can or should and are even capable of. <laughs> Don't, um, there, I remember, okay, <laughs> so when I start, first started playing guitar and, like, doing this whole thing, Michaela took me to a Catholic worship leader conference, um, That's cool. which was very cool. That was, like, fall of our freshman year, and I remember asking a question. There was a priest there who's a good friend, um, and I remember asking him, like, during, like, a Q&A session during this conference, like, if I don't have the support of a priest, like, how do I logistically do this? Like, there is no, like, rubric, there's no, like, list of rules, like, there is nobody to teach me. I got trained as an EM, and this is not in my training, um, because my only previous experience had been, um, at my high school, we had silent adoration, and since I was an EM, um, and I was in charge of adoration, I would be, like, the adorer on the schedule, and oftentimes with our campus minister, I would expose in the morning and repose in the afternoon, um, after people had taken shifts all day. So I was aware that I could, like, I could do that, but, like, I didn't really, we didn't have a chaplain, so, like, that was the only option. Um, but on a campus full of Jesuits, I was like, is that still an option? Like, is that, is that really the case? So being, studying liturgy, I dug, dug to the bottom of that one. Um, pointers, (laughs) rules, (laughs) that I wish I had. Don't touch the monstrance. That applies for the priest, and it also very much applies to you. Um, Don't touch the monstrance with bare hands. Um, When, all right, let's just run through the, like, logistics. Get the tabernacle key. Open the tabernacle. Make sure the monstrance is on the altar. The altar. We had a time Uh that Liv was about to expose I went to Jesus, get the Luna, and, I, and the monstrance wasn't out. It was the mon- and I literally had to run. Run. <laughs> While yep. you were exposing Jesus, run yep. to the back room and get the monstrance. So yeah, first step, make sure the monstrance is, is on, on the, the altar. altar. <laughs> and the monstrance goes on top of a corporal. On So, altar, altar cloth, corporal, monstrance. When there isn't, when Jesus is not in the monstrance, turn the monstrance like, is that 180 degrees? Yes. Yeah, 180 degrees, not 90 degrees. Um, so that it's, like, not parallel. <laughs> like, the face of the monstrance isn't parallel with the front of the altar. It's perpendicular to it. So that when people walk in and there's, like, the glare of the glass, you can tell that Jesus is not, Jesus is not home. He is still in the tabernacle. And if your um, uh, monstrance has, like, a door on a hinge, open the door. Um you can do like oh saving victim or something like that at the beginning when you're exposing singing wise um or silence ask everyone to kneel go get the luna put the luna in um usually i i mean a priest would wear a cope and a humeral veil but typically i just like with my like shirt or sleeve 
or like sweatshirt, scarf, whatever I have will, um, or sometimes I've actually used an actual like corporal, but um, I'll hold the Luna so my bare hands are not on the Luna. Um, bring it to the altar, put it in, try not to touch the monstrance with your bare hands. It's just a sign of reverence. I mean, obviously logistically, like you have to sometimes when you're turning it, but like if you can use your sleeve, that would be preferable. Um, obviously genuflect and such. And then fast forward to the end of adoration. This is more of the like unknown uncharted territory because typically, ideally, there's a priest there who would do benediction and would take care of all of that for you. Um, but typically we don't do, you can do divine praises without benediction. Typically we don't. You can do the, um, what's it in Latin? The down in adoration falling, that one. Yeah. Um, you can do that regardless of whether or not there's benediction. Um, or you can just ask everyone to kneel again and repose it in the same situation. Make sure you turn the monstrance 180 degrees again. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't know, like, they they want to have more adoration, but they don't know that, like, I don't know. I, like, I have a big issue, <laughs> and I'm a big advocate of, like, when people are like, oh, I wish our parish had this, like, I wish our church did this, and I'm like, why, what, stop complaining and do something about it, like, yeah. <laughs> you, you want more adoration? Like, you can do that. Like, the priest is not going to tell you no. If you approach him with a plan of how to do it and execute it without his help or maybe just with his help at the very beginning and end of the day like a five minute like ask of him or a zero minute ask of him like and if he says no to that for some unreasonable reason like that's not a good thing um i mean he might have legit reasons why um and that is why you were going to him for permission because he has the authority on that um yeah but like people don't know that you can do this on your own and i think they should so, anything else logistically? No, I think that was a really good sum up. I've learned a lot. <laughs> if this was really overwhelming for you, if you're not, like, a liturgy major. <laughs> like, not yeah. that you're a major in liturgy, but, you know. I would enough. be if I could. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, these are just, like, really important things. And like you were saying, like, things like like not touching the monstrance, like, it, it's, like, yeah, for reverence and yeah. different things like that that, like, I've just found, like, mm -hmm. I just think they're very important because, like, while some people may think, like, oh, they're small, like, yeah, doesn't really mean that much because, like, yes, like, sometimes priests, like, you know, touch yeah. the monsters, different things like that, like, I still think it's just very important to, like, that's, that's the Lord, like, yeah. that's mm -hmm. very, like, body, blood, soul, and divinity, you know, like, I think we should be as, like, reverent as humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> and also just, like, being able to do this is like has really opened my eyes especially now with like COVID-19 like mm. we are so like so lucky to be able to have such great access to the Lord yes. in the Eucharist because like I know different mission like friends who have siblings that are missionaries in different I believe in Nicaragua and or just different underdeveloped countries where priests can only go there like once a month yeah and it's just, I mean, I'm sure, like, maybe places in Haiti as well, yeah. of course. Like, like, once a year. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, like, I feel like, especially during this time, during, like, when we're not able to go to Mass, like, people are, like, freaking out. I mean, of course, because they li they miss the Lord in in um, in the Eucharist so much. And I'm like, 
this like this is like a daily occurrence mm. for people around the world. So I just like that. I was just thinking about that as we've had having this whole conversation. It's just like like just what you were saying, like take advantage of the resources you have to yes. the Lord because a lot of people do not have this like don't have the same possibilities as us yeah so if like if you're someone who like the Eucharist means a lot to you in adoration because I know different people have different um devotions devotions yeah exactly um but like I mean for me and Liv like I want to go to adoration as like much as possible um so yeah I would just encourage you I would challenge you if Mm. that's like if you feel drawn close to the Lord in adoration like go go to him (laughs) yeah Yes, all of that. Um, yeah, and and about the like, like not touching the monstrance and like all of all of these little things like that are so important. But I think we can't lose sight of like, if um, if you're doing this out of that like genuine love, like you just want to spend time with him and like yeah. sit at his feet, like everything else will follow. Like unlike another like any of the other like sacraments and liturgies, like there are very few right and wrongs with adoration. I mean, there, there are plenty of wrongs, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but there's there, also plenty of rights. Yes. Yeah, there are so many, I don't know, like, there, there's no right formula. Like, everyone does. Of course, benediction in its own is, like, a little liturgy, but, like, surrounding that, like, whether or not you do the divine praises first and but then that down in adoration, like, that whole situation and like how you expose and who exposes and that whole thing like there's so much freedom in it as long as it's guided with like such a deep love of the lord like if you are so passionately in love like of course you're not going to touch the monstrance of course you're going to hold the luna and walk slowly and lovingly and um like everything just falls into place if love is the thing that leads um, so I guess leave with love, um, for the Eucharist and for the people who want to come and adore him. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel like that was a pretty productive conversation. Yes, I agree. Solid. All right, I guess we should wrap up here. This will be a long episode, but, you know, we're all in quarantine. <laughs> it was a long episode. It was an episode. <laughs> Meaning, like, I'm looking at the timestamp, but I haven't even put all of the pieces together yet. So, yeah, that. Um, anyway... I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back next week with some other episode that has yet to be conceived because we're in quarantine and all of my plans for recording with people at the Catholic TV studios have been foiled (laughs) by coronavirus. So um, until then, you can find us on social media at To The Heights CTV. Um, If you have any questions about anything in this episode, feel free to shoot us a DM or tweet us. Um, or something, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at to the height CTV. Um, you can find all of the podcast episodes at grexley.com, which is our brand new podcasting platform, um, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can support this new Grexley initiative at patreon.com slash grexley, um, and you can find me at oliviarose underscore art or oliviaroseart.com. Talk to you next week, and keep on reaching to the heights.